You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast. Peter had done the worst possible thing. And surely he could never, ever take this back. His story seemed like incredible hope just gone bad. After boasting that he would never leave the side of Jesus, all of a sudden he realized that he had absolutely sold him out. He had denied him, and the bitterness landed on him, and the tears came. Now this morning, as we take an Easter break from the book of John, Peter is such a great story to study because that moment of denial has for a long time, kind of been the linchpin of Jesus' walk to the cross, and certainly the headline of a good share of Good Friday services. But I think his story is much more than that. Because for Peter, this was a moment of, it was disastrous. There's no doubt about that. But for him, it wasn't the end. It was the beginning. And for all of us, as we follow Jesus, we may, we may think, you know, I've done so much. I can never come back. God can never use me. But this morning, we'll learn that we don't have to live in fear and shame and guilt. Because of the grace of God, you're never, never over that cliff. You're never too far gone. It's never too late. Now, Peter's journey with Jesus, of course, began far before this moment of denial. In fact, Jesus pursued Peter, and we see for the first time he found Peter fishing, and here is that encounter. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. The interesting thing when you look at how Jesus found his disciples, number one, the moment he said, follow me, they were gone. They were with him. But he also initiated it. He went and he found Peter. He had a plan for Peter the whole time. And Peter was no doubt a devout disciple, and in his, if you want to call it, pre-passion ministry with Jesus, he had several high points, none higher than when he confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And so he brings him to this place called Caesarea Philippi, and if, if you've been there, it's this place of just massive rock formations, and there are a number of caves and inlets where at that time they would have been worshiping pagan gods. And so Jesus brings them to this place where all of this idol worship was going on to ask them who they really believed he was. And when Jesus came to that region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am. Well, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are 
Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What a moment. He, he tells Peter that because of your faith, it's faith like yours that I will build the church. And his name means rock. So here he is in this rocky formation saying, faith like that will build my church. And so Peter is this devout disciple, but then comes this part of his journey. And as we enter into this section of the journey, we'll see that he came and he was kind of self-assured and he was a little bit cocky, but the good news for Peter, even though he fell and he fell hard, is that there is always hope in Jesus. And so I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke 22, beginning in verse 54. Luke 22, 54, this is page number 883. If you want to grab that Bible in the rack in front of you, or you can use your Ridgewood app. And all the scripture will be there, and the study guides as well. So as we look at this portion of Peter's journey, from really humiliation to glory, we'll segment it in as seasons of his journey with Jesus. And he is entering the fall season with Jesus things were changing quickly. And so we'll see that Peter's fall season was a season of rapid change. Everything was beginning to fall apart, or at least it seemed to him. The plot to kill Jesus had taken shape. Remember, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And that ruffled the feathers of the Jewish leaders because they didn't want trouble. They didn't want to get on the bad side of the Romans. And so he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and John eleven fifty three 53 tells us, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. And that was only four or five months before Peter's denial. So he'd gone from being with this rock star that was wandering the hills of Palestine with massive crowds, healing everyone, to all of a sudden, now, he's hunted, he's arrested, and fall was quickly turning into winter in Peter's life. And so we see now in our text, in verse 54, that the Lord had been arrested. His crucifixion was close at hand. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. It's really interesting, because things were getting darker, but Peter had promised to be Loyal, And I guess he was to a certain extent. I mean, he's following him. He, he, he's not exactly leading the parade, but he's there. He may have thought, well, hey, I can maybe keep my vow to Jesus and, and maybe not be discovered and, and I can get through this thing. But it didn't work out for him. He, he was making poor decisions. You know, when we're about to enter a season of winter in our lives, we don't always know that that's coming. In fact, very rarely do we know that a blizzard is about to hit our lives and trials come. And decisions that we make in the fall affect the winter. And we find then when the trials hit that we're either with Jesus or we're not with Jesus. We're either in or we're out. Peter was trying to play it down the middle. 
and it didn't work. And so what we find here with Peter's decision-making is that fall decisions lead to winter consequences. What we do in the fall affects how we act in the winter. It's, it's really interesting when you look at this because I just wonder, Peter, you could have avoided all this shame and all of this weeping and bitterness if you would have just put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm with the guy. Now, would he have been beaten? Maybe. Killed? Maybe. But at least he could have stood straight in front of God and said, yeah, I follow you. And the winter of his life could have been avoided. The decisions we make in fall affect what happens when trials hit. I don't know how many of you watch these, uh, judging by first service, not very many, watch these um, reality shows like um, Alaska Bush People. Okay? very much like first service. I'm glad we have unity between the two services. Um, or how about mountain men? Okay. I've got to make some changes in my life, apparently. <laughs> but these are people who live in these harsh Alaskan wilderness settings. And they literally spend all summer and fall preparing for winter. As soon as the snow melts, they're out trapping. They're making repairs. They're going to the doctor because the waterways open up. They're getting ready for winter because if they aren't prepared, they will die. And the same is true in our lives. If we make decisions in the fall that we're not sure where we stand with Jesus or we're okay on our own, when winter hits, we're going to spiritually wither and die. On the other hand, if we fortify ourselves in times of, of summer, or times of spring, and we prepare ourselves for what may come next, then we can withstand anything through the power of God. And so what is your fall season like? What, what, what's going on in your life right now? Maybe you're not in the middle of a disastrous time in your life, but things are going okay, but you know that you know, at any time something could hit. Are you all in for Christ and are you fortifying yourself? Are you out there preparing for winter? You know, things like the spiritual disciplines, like just steady Bible reading and prayer, even if it feels like it's not sinking in, it does, it, it does, it, it grows roots. Doing life with Christian community, other believers can help so much to fortify us. Or things like sitting under solid Bible teaching. A man in our church called me this week and said, wow, man, one of my friends is preaching in a church, and I'm really concerned about his theology. Can you watch this, this sermon? And I did, and oh, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Sitting under solid Bible teaching will help you withstand the winter, but you have to do it. You have to be ready. And then serving alongside other believers just becomes this... this life-giving exercise that fortifies us. But the point is, is that you need to be aware that your life isn't always going to be like it is now. And Peter was trying to play it both ways, and now he hits this disastrous time in his life. He's about to experience the consequences of his fall decisions. Look at 55 through 62. 
I've got to believe this is the low point of Peter's life. He must have thought it's all over. The humiliation must have been overwhelming. Look at verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also is with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. That's a really difficult moment. And he must have thought that this was the end of the line for him. I mean, how do you come back from this? I mean, and it wasn't like he was doing it in a group of people and he could come back and he could report and kind of leave that part out. Jesus turned and looked right at him. Because, of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking and what he was saying. Now, where they are in this situation is they're at Caiaphas's house. And Caiaphas was the high priest and Annas was his father-in-law who should have been the high priest. They probably shared this home. And these are the steps that they would have walked up that night. These are the steps to Caiaphas' house. Now, if you visit Israel, you know they'll tell you two things. They'll say, either this site is a traditional site, which means it probably happened here, or the locals say it happened here, or this is an historical site, which means it absolutely happened here. These steps are historical. This is the, these are the steps that Jesus walked up that night after being arrested. These are the steps that Peter followed him up. And I was so fortunate to, to go there before. Now they've got it kind of sealed off and you can't walk on it anymore. But I had a chance to walk those steps. And you talk about worship. And just an acknowledgement of what that must have been like with the torches and the shouting and the armor and the it must have just been horrific. These are the steps. And then the courtyard was located, unfortunately, when Constantine became the, the head of Rome. He kind of legalized Christianity, and his mother went around, and all the historical sites, she built churches over them, which was a nice gesture, except for now we can't see the historical sites anymore. But this would have been where it happened. This is the church of St. Peter. The steps are right behind where that tree is coming up this way, and right in here is a courtyard, and that's where Peter would have denied Jesus. And what you really can get from this, even though it's kind of hard to see the context, is this is not a very big area. And Peter would have been found out. I mean, it was so small that everyone would have probably known what was happening. And you see here three times Peter denied the Lord to a servant girl in 56 and 57, to an unidentified man in 58, and his Galilean accent gave him away in 59 and 60. He was caught with nowhere to go. Winter had set in. 
And then it happened. The rooster crowed. He denied the Lord. And he remembered how Jesus was teaching them about this moment and how he said, I would never, ever deny you. And we see this written about in Matthew, Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And our hero Peter answered him, Though they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And now he had fallen away. What do you do with that? I mean, it's, it's one thing to kind of say, you know, I never, I never really bought into this. I wasn't really, this whole thing's crazy. No, not only was he all in, he promised to be the one that wouldn't fall away, and now he had fallen away. And then this moment in 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus staring you down? Now, I'm sure it wasn't a condemning stare, but I'm sure it had some piercing elements to it. So he had been through this fall where he'd made these decisions to kind of be all half in and half out, and now winter had hit, and we wonder, is there any hope for Peter? And the answer, of course, is yes. Because there's always hope when the gospel is at work. And so now it's time for spring. And we see here that Peter's spring brings new hope like spring does. If we ever get to it, Peter's spring brought new hope, a new commission, and restoration. Winter was thawing. Peter had new hope. He was about to experience grace. Grace like he had never experienced before. And there are two events in the life of Peter that really document how Jesus restored him, among others. But I want to look at two of them quickly. The first one is the breakfast that Jesus had with his disciples. He, he had now returned and shown himself a third time. He found them on the shore. He invited them to breakfast on the shore and then pulled Peter aside. And here's what we see. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Probably becoming exasperated at this point. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry your, where you want to go. And this is said to show by what kind of death he was about to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So he, what is he doing here? He's recommissioning him. He's saying, do you love me? Yes. Okay, then go do the business of my kingdom. Now, there's a lot of nuances there we don't have time to get into, but this is a recommissioning. And it didn't really matter all the mistakes that Peter had made. Jesus pulled him aside. And that first question, do you love me more than these guys? 
That's interesting, isn't it? Because Peter's the one who boasted, oh, don't worry, they'll all fall away, but I'll be with you. It's almost like, do you love me more than these guys? Because the first time didn't work out so well. And Peter was adamant. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have pasts. And, and, and you're not a lost cause. You know, sure, you have made mistakes. Sure, you know, you've done things that you shouldn't do. And you haven't done some of the things that you should have done. That, I think, even dogs Christians more than the other. Like, oh, if I would have. If I just would have. I could have. You've hurt people. You've let God down. I mean, if anybody is, a, is a, an example of restoration, it's, it's Danny, Denise's brother. Here's a guy saying, I don't know anything about heaven. I don't know how to get there. And he's about to die, and Denise leads him to Christ, and he's forgiven and free from that moment on. There is hope. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you've come from. I mean, that's my story. I was so far from God. I was making a shipwreck of my life. I was ruining and destroying my life. And because of God's grace, he reached in and he grabbed me for no good reason except for he chose to and intervened and pulled me out of that and restored me. So I understand what it's like to be in winter and have Jesus reach in and usher in summer. It's amazing. And this is what's happening to Peter right here. Now, the second event that I think shows this incredible, this incredible restoration is after Jesus had been raised, he was introducing himself again. And look what Paul wrote. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. He, he came to Peter first. Total restoration. Not only that, Peter was the first to actually enter the tomb. This is the same man that had denied him, and now he's restored. He'd made it through winter, spring had come, and now Peter's summer was full of Holy Spirit-filled power. Summer is a time now where Peter would be unleashed to build the kingdom. And there's a sermon that's recorded in Acts chapter 4. And it's he and John. And they're out there preaching. And there's a, there's a, there's a huge crowd that had gathered to hear them. And the, the leaders were all concerned about this mob because they didn't want disorder. They were in power. They're, you know, they're puppets of the Romans. And these guys are just preaching the gospel to Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the sect where... They were kind of the liberals of the Pharisees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in supernatural power. But here's John and Peter preaching like crazy to them. And I want you to see the reaction here in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. How many of us in the deep parts of our soul just would love to have somebody think, that person is so unusual, he must have been with Jesus. She must be religious. She has something else. You see, they, they understood this very obviously. 
And, and the thing I like about this too, uneducated and common. You don't have to have a seminary degree to share the gospel. You don't have to even, you know, you don't have to be eloquent in your speech. You just need to allow the Holy Spirit to take you where he wants you to go. Peter is now in summer and he's preaching with power. And what I want to leave you this morning is this thought. Like Peter, it's never too late for you. Never too late. And, and you may be in winter right now. You may be feeling like, I've screwed up so bad, or my life is such a mess, or there are so many things going on you don't understand, and I, it, I'm never coming back, or God could never come and get me. Well, you're wrong. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the gospel is full of grace, and it's full of hope. And let today be a new start for you. But shove off all of that garbage that you're carrying around, that a thing that happened so long ago, and you just can't forgive yourself. But if you've asked God to forgive you, the Bible's clear that he's forgiven you immediately. So don't drag that around anymore. Or, or that sin that stares you in the eye so often, that one thing that you really have a hard time with, your, your thorn, kind of your vice, you... Listen, you can have victory. Just relinquish it and allow God to continue to work in you because spring is coming and there will be a thaw and there will be hope. Because the good news is, is that we can repent and we can receive forgiveness. And if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came and he gave his broken body on the cross and was raised again, then the Bible says we can be saved. The Bible also teaches, conversely, that if we fail to do so, we will maintain our position being under the wrath of God. We will spend eternity in eternal torment, and we cannot be reconciled to God. But through simple faith, everything can change. And if you've been a believer a long time, I want you to know the gospel is not a one-time thing. The gospel is working in our lives all the time. I have to cry out for the gospel all of the time. I have to receive forgiveness. I have to go back to the Lord time and time again and just be broken by him in order to have relationship with him. But I do that because I know for me there's hope and he has a, he has a plan for my life and he's taken me from the darkest of winters to a new summer and soon I'll be in heaven and that summer will never end. You know, you're not off that cliff. You may feel like you've gone over the cliff. I know what that feels like. You're like, oh man, like that thing I did, like if anybody in this room found out what I did, like I wouldn't have any friends. I would never be loved. It's not true. You may feel like you're not too far gone. Because of grace, it's never too late for you. And so I want to give you just a moment to just bow your head and have some quiet. And I want you to be thinking, what, what, where are you in this thing? Are you, are you preparing yourself for what might come next and just girding yourself? Or are you really struggling? Are you in winter? Why can't you just relinquish? Just ask God these questions and let him speak to you. And let's do it in quiet for a couple of minutes. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. 
For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.